the process, what you don't want to have happen, and I at that time, I'm going back in time because I don't think it's so true today, is that I felt that a lot of the dance teachers had low self-esteem. Somehow they hadn't become ballerinas, ballerinas, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so they kind of always had that kind of chip on their shoulder. Well, you know, I mean, you can't all, not everyone's going to be Don, Don Bradman if you play cricket or, you know, it's dance education is a, a thing worth doing of its own sake, whether you become a professional or not. And I'm sure you would agree that only some become professionals. And to give up your academic work totally is a very bad idea. How good is that quote that I pulled from my interview with our guest today? Just judging by that, I'm sure you can all tell that Penny Lancaster and I have a lot in common. So I'm very much looking forward to sharing this conversation with you today. Hello, Balance Ballerinas. If you are new to the podcast, how rude of me, I haven't introduced myself. My name is Georgia and I am your podcast host. I am a ballet teacher, I'm a studio owner, and Balance Ballerinas is my passion project and what my adult ballet classes are called. So if you would like to check out balanceballerinas.com, you can register for classes if you're in my area, or there's lots of resources for Balance Ballerinas from all over the world to join in the fun. I also write a newsletter every Friday that I'm really enjoying delivering to everyone's inboxes. And if you'd love to receive that, you can hit me up on social media at The Balance Ballerina. Send me a message with your email address and I'll be sure to add you to receive those. Alternatively, you can also just jump again on balanceballerinas.com and there's a section where you can actually pop your email address and you'll start receiving them. Now, let's get into today's interview. Penny is the honorary founding director of Australian Dance Vision and registered training organization, Australian Dance Institute. Penny's vision was to create a really holistic education dance program via a creative and unique assessment process while building both excellence and self-esteem for students and teachers. Penny truly believes her syllabus gives students preparation for a professional career in dance, you know, if they choose that path, with life skills that set students up for greater employment opportunities. Ah, such music to my ears. <laughs> now, Penny trained at the Scully Borovansky School in Sydney before becoming a professional dancer in theatre, film, modelling and television in Australia and the US. Later, Penny actually followed her dance passion and became a teacher of classical ballet. Penny holds her RAD teacher's diploma and a certificate for in training and assessment and a certificate in learning, literacy and numeracy. But more recently, Penny is a higher education advanced leadership program graduate of 2017. Now, just as a side note before I go any further, I love in the introductions to share the qualifications of my guests because I think it's really important to recognize, especially classical ballet teachers that go on to further education and seek professional development instead of, you know, simply just teaching as they were taught. 
being any kind of dance teacher is a career. A lot of people think it's a hobby and it's not. It's a career path, a really rewarding one. And even though the industry is highly unregulated, anyone teaching, you know, without the desire for further education to achieve qualifications just really shouldn't be because bodies are forever and it's so important that those that are educating you have the qualifications behind them. Anyway, that's just my opinion. Let's continue on with Penny's story. She was the proprietor and teacher in her own large academy of dancing called the Penelope Lancaster Academy of Dancing in Sydney for over 20 years before creating and directing the youth dance company Ballet d'Action. This company performed in Sydney for 10 years from 1989 to 1999 with 22 new dance works employing a number of prominent choreographers and musicians. One of the reasons I really wanted to have a conversation with Penny for the podcast is because I've been thinking a lot lately about syllabus, especially um, classical ballet ones. I've been researching and recognizing those that do things really well and those that do things very poorly. It's a hot topic on my mind as I look toward the future of my own studio. And as so many teachers ask my opinion about syllabi, I find it a duty of care to promote ones that are not only run professionally, but also fairly for the health and well-being of students. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to give Penny the opportunity, I guess, to share her story and promote her syllabus on the Balanced Ballerinas podcast. I hope to talk more about this topic freely in the future. You can tell I'm dancing around a little bit, excuse the pun. But for now, I want to focus on how Penny created and coordinated the development and implementation of five accredited nationally recognized dance educational programs in both classical ballet, jazz, tap and contemporary dancing. Her syllabus and its process for examining students is really quite revolutionary and remarkable. In Penny's own words, created by qualified Australian teachers for Australian teachers, a unique holistic dance program for everyone who loves to dance. And isn't that everyone? End quote. During this interview, we dive into some of the finer details that make ADV stand out from the rest. The importance of keeping up your academic studies, something I'm incredibly passionate about, and the importance of non-threatening examination environments, which is something I am increasingly becoming passionate about. Connecting with Penny was truly a highlight of my week when we did this interview. I have so much respect for the work that she does and the human that she is, and I can't wait to sit down over a coffee in person one day soon. I feel like we'd have a lot to talk about. In the meantime, it would mean the world to me if you subscribed, shared a screenshot or rated the podcast. This truly is, as I always say, a labor of love and your support keeps the podcasts coming. Now, enjoy this interview with my new friend, Penny Lancaster. Welcome to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast, Penny. It's an absolute pleasure to spend my morning with you. Thank you, Georgia. Lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. And for the listeners, um, one of the reasons why we've connected today is because I absolutely love when you reply to my newsletters and I thought, who's this wonderful Penny lady? She seems so lovely. And so I had a Google and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to have a chat to her and she needs to be a guest on the podcast because we share just 
so many values, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I think we do. I think we do. And it's great to see that uh, younger people like yourself are, are feeling the same way. Because uh, in those early days, I felt like I was kind of the only one. Um, because there was a certain culture at that time, I think, of doing things a certain way. And I don't know, maybe I suddenly woke up to it, something uh, triggered it. And I've been sort of wondering what exactly that was when you put what, you know, how did I start ballet action? Well, it was something about exam after exam after exam and having to be the examiner before the exam in a sort of a way. And I thought, what can I do for, the, for the, my students? Because I had a big school yes. and um, had been teaching for some years. And all of a sudden I thought, ballet d'action, Jean-Georges Nevers. Yes, he had great ideas because I knew my students were very talented and um, they could dance. And there were people who interested in music and there were people who interested in design. So the idea is that the each element complements the other. And that was the idea behind ballet action, um, that it should uh, have those art forms brought together. And what we did is we employed professional choreographers, um, people like um, Natalie Weir, Garth Welsh, Norman Hall, Shane Carroll, and um, we came together in various venues. But first of all, we, we established a non-profit company and the, the students paid a membership fee, not very much membership fee. And I was able to get some funding from the Ministry for the Arts, Australia Council. Um, and altogether, we put together over 10 years, 22 I was going to say new works, but they weren't all new works. For example, we did Petrushka. Yeah. And we did Petrushka because when I was young, there was a teacher called Kirill Vasilkovsky. Now he was came out with the Borovatsky Ballet. And he formed what he called the Young Australian Ballet. And somehow I got that. <laughs> and it was wonderful. I saw Petrushka for the first time. He was still dancing. And he had the whole theatre background, Russian, of course. And he was so encouraging to me. So encouraging. And I wanted to have that experience for my students. So we followed his ideas, except we did it slightly differently. Obviously, things change. And so uh, the parents were volunteers. People came from all over and wanted to be part of it. And it was a most joyful um, 10 years, a most joyful 10 years. And uh, I have two sons and uh, Andrew is the youngest son. He was doing the music and the older boy was very happy to do the spotlight. And they were sort of in their kind of late years of school. And uh, so it was a real family affair. So my husband was there being an engineer and various people came forward and said, what can I do? So we performed at the Zenith Theatre, the um, Zenith Theatres in Chatswood, in, in the Opera House, in the uh, Sydney Town Hall, in the Bicentennial Park in Kimball, uh, um, Kuringai Town Hall, which we turned into a little theatre. Um, the council were very supportive. 
So, and the Wenkart Foundation were very supportive. So um, we were very lucky uh, with that. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, so. so did you have the school whilst setting up and running this non-profit company? Well, for this, I did. I was still running my dance school. Yeah. Um, yes, so at that stage. But what grew out of that was the realisation that a lot of surplus money from English-based society went back to London. And I thought, oh, right, if you have a syllabus, then, you know, you could do another way of getting money for the non-profit. Mm. So and I'd always wanted to, I mean, I loved what I did with RAD. I, I loved the dancing and, and, and I did the teacher's exams. I did the elementary teachers in 1983 and then the intermediate teachers and then I did the Shaketi exams. I danced those. I was in my late 30s, early 40s. And that, that took me back because I had kind of given up ballet. You know, I, I was going to Royal Ballet School and I, I didn't go as it turned out, but that's another story. But uh, <laughs> there's lots of little stories here. But um, Yes, so that was how the syllabus, I thought, well, what do they do for us? And I thought, well, they give us a classical syllabus. Well, I'd done my teacher's exam. I knew it. I could dance the boys' dances. I could dance everything. Um, so I sat down with my wonderful pianist and put together a classical ballet syllabus, right from six-year-olds through to, you know, how... Uh, students in their 20s. How long did that take? It took five years. Wow. And the biggest thing, Georgia, was the uh, finding the music. You have to have composers who are well and truly dead by 1927. Mm. <laughs> and uh, had a lot of my grandfather's music and uh, June had as my pianist, she had music and we Put it all together. She did the, you know, the coders and the intros, and yes. So we started with beginners of six years because I felt really trying to teach classical ballet to three and four year olds is not a good idea. They're not really. What do you think? <laughs> you know I have this conversation all the time. Only yesterday I had a phone call where a parent wanted to know. Um, you know, the ins and outs and specificities of the ballet class for our three to four-year-old students at the studio. And my biggest answer is that they're really learning to take instruction of someone other than their parent, which is no matter what they're doing, whether it's tennis or ballet or swimming, it actually doesn't matter. Doesn't <laughs> and, matter. Yeah, and the details of, of a tondu or a plie sort of happen when, yeah, they're six years old, which I think you agree with. So when they're three and four, as long as they're having a great time and they're enjoying themselves and they're learning that instruction, does it matter? <laughs> exactly. It's the music and the rhythm. I used to have clapping. Yep. And I'd take them as young as three. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you can't, at six, you can teach a six-year-old anything, I think. Six-year-olds are wonderful, love six-year-olds. And so that's the time to start any kind of basic classical ballet in my opinion yes 
and take it slowly, you know, and make it enjoyable. Uh, and don't be too strict. But on the other hand, introduce, introduce that discipline, which we all enjoy. I mean, you know, it, it's the passion of dance, really. It, what appeals to me is the, um, the uh, commitment and the movement and the coordination of all dance. It's a, it's a wonderful therapeutic thing for, for children or anybody to do at any stage in life and to keep doing it. Therapeutic's a great word. I find these days in regards to communication and marketing and, you know, any form of copy, the word discipline is a bit of a dirty word these days and you have to be really careful with how you use it because I find that when clients call and ask for uh, a ballet class, they go, but we don't want it to be too disciplined. But I don't think they actually quite understand what disciplined means in the first well, place. Yeah, I agree totally. Um, it, you know, to try to get a three-year-old to stand in uh, first position for any period of time. Yeah, uh, uh, that's what the mother means. Don't don't ask her to do that because she can't do it. So it's silly to ask her to do it, sort of thing. And it's quite right. And, and good teachers don't try to do that. If you do that, it's well, it's kind of not very sensible. Um, yeah. So discipline is a is well if it's gone out of fashion it's a pity really because it is such a wonderful um driving if you want to do something um then it doesn't matter whether it's dance or anything else it requires discipline and commitment I and, uh, agree. and that's what the dance you know especially classical ballet um and i love all forms of dance but um and we have to be committed to all forms of dance, probably to a certain degree, if you want to be a professional. Mm, definitely. And uh, lots do. But in the process, what you don't want to have happen, and I at that time, I'm going back in time because I don't think it's so true today, is that I felt that a lot of the dance teachers had low self-esteem. Somehow they hadn't become ballerinas, ballerinas, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so they've kind of always had that kind of chip on their shoulder. Well, you know, I mean, you can't all, not everyone's going to be Don, Don Bradman if you play cricket or, you know, it's dance education is a, a thing worth doing on its own sake, whether you become a professional or not. And I'm sure you would agree that only some become professionals. And to give up your academic work totally is a very bad idea. So the elements that I put in that came about for putting the, uh, the academic components, which we have in the ADV syllabus, was because I was working with Margaret Markham and Valerie Tweedy with the Board of Studies to put classical ballet into the curriculum in New South Wales. Yeah. Um, and I ended up um, marking some of the papers on um, anatomy, body science, you might say, and history. And I've discovered that the students had no idea about where ballet started. Oh, no, it started at Miss Trixie's studio. Well, no, it didn't. It probably started in the Renaissance. And maybe that'd be a good thing to know because it's so enriching to know these things. And I know that when my son came home, he did three unit music, he came home and he, oh, I've learned all about the composers. It's so exciting and it's so interesting. 
And, that, and I thought, well, why don't we do that with... So what I did is I wrote a little section for every level. So every level in the ADB syllabus has sections of academic that they have to, and it goes towards their marks. So we have what we call option systems in the ADB syllabus, and they can choose to get a mark or just do the work mm -hmm. and achieve it because... In my experience, and you probably have the same thing in your school, is you will have one student who's been dancing for three or four years and her friend comes along and she thinks it's like school, so she'll do the same exam. Yes. Well, that doesn't work, does it? So the option two is there for her to stay with her, her friend in that class but not get a grade. Mm. And it's worked 100%. It really has because what is the point in failing a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old all you do is kill kill the love of dance yeah i yeah. think the argument from the other side is playing devil's advocate here yes the point, the point of failing children is that you know people say well you shouldn't be handing out participation medals or certificates to everyone <laughs> and my argument is that dance is so different like it's not objective and and there are so many differing factors and it's not like running a race where you run a race and there's a clear first second and third so yeah it's really tricky <laughs> you want the discipline you want the coordination you want the um, cooperation and there's so many things to learn from training um, and I used to find that uh, the ones that didn't go into the theatre in some way often became lawyers. They like rules. <laughs> I decided dance is like rules. Um, do you agree with that or is that just a Penny Lancaster theory? No, I agree. There's so many. Um, there's actually quite a few students who were with me at Aussie Ballet School who are now lawyers. <laughs> so okay. there you go. There you go, indeed, my, indeed. My yeah. adult clients here at the studio, um, quite a few of my adult ballerinas are lawyers. So, Well, that's, that's been my theory for a while, and I think uh, it just is, that's how it is. And there's something, uh, it's, there's something very, uh, uh, I was going to say soothing. It's not quite the right word. But to have rules and work around them, is, is good. You've got a solid base and then you can work from there. So if you're doing some sort of creative enterprise, uh, then, you know, it takes a bit of courage to get out there and do something a little bit different. And that's what we've tried to do, to encourage the creativity within the syllabus so that, so that they do their own thing. And so it's full of things where they have an opportunity to create their own dance. Um, and that's fairly common, I think, in a lot of the syllabuses now, but it didn't used to be there. We put mimes in also, um, all those sorts of things. And then at the end, they have this opportunity to talk about their, 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 their art form. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then what we ended up doing is uh, ADV became, became a registered training organisation. Yeah. Why did I ever do that? 
<laughs> we we run um, certificates at my studio, certificate courses, and someone said to us, because my mum who runs our administration is very on top of paperwork, and someone said, you should be, you know, your own RTO and take care of all that yourself. And mum goes, what do you think? And I went, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> okay. You made a very good decision there. So you can do both. I mean, um, some of my students went on to professionals, they finished their schooling and then they auditioned, you know, and they still have careers. So, um, yes, it's um, leaving school early. I don't know what you feel about that. but uh, I have a very strong opinion on this and I can tell you right now, none of my students leave school early <laughs> if I can have my way. I, I'm with you there. I really feel... Um, well, you know, it, it, it's, you abandon that. And there are a few things, not, it's not just the education. Um, it is also the fact that you lose that social year 11 and 12. Mm -hmm. I did run a full-time school for a while. I had about 11 students. And after about a year, I was teaching them history and other things. But I didn't think I needed to teach them to write. And I thought, this is not right. So I closed it down. I was not happy with taking full-time students. Uh, I felt that they, they were missing out on their friends and possibly won't regret that in the future. Um, and there is time to still be professionals and not leave school. And I agree with you 100% on that. And that there's an example of somebody who tried it one way. I had it for a year. No, I thought it's not for me. You tried it, but I don't have to. Thanks, Penny. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me because then, then we created the ballet action. Mm -hmm. So that sort of, in a way, took care of that. Um, and uh, they had that a kind of outlet that could combine with school. They managed it and the parents were very cooperative and everybody was very cooperative. So, yes, I think it's, it's important. Uh, because you teach, don't you? Anybody who walks in the door. It's not like we're the Marinsky or, you know, the people that audition and the perfect body goes to that, into the school. That's quite a different process. But for your average dance school, you're teaching everybody and everybody should dance in my opinion. We've talked about that before. So, so you know, don't give you up your education. It's very important. And uh, uh, yes, it's... Uh... I think students miss out on soft skills. They, learn, they, they miss out on learning those soft skills of how to deal with, you know, other human beings and those really important interpersonal skills that make them a valuable member of a society or be their workplace. Because when you're in that environment where you give up school and you're thrown into a pre-professional program where it's just dance, 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 me, me, me. Yeah. They're very not capable of thinking about other people. And I can say that because that was me. Because okay. when I was as, like, I am saying this because that was me. Like, I was so self-absorbed as a pre-professional yes. um, in a full-time program and leaving yes. school that I found it so hard to come back into finishing grade 12 because I decided I wanted to go to uni 
And that was so hard. It was so hard coming back and finishing grade 12. It was so hard going back into a social setting where, you know, there were people my own age and it wasn't mixed and everyone wasn't expected to be very adult. Um, I was expected to be a kid again. And I found that really, really difficult. And it took many years, ask my mother, (laughs) for me to learn to actually have empathy for other people. That sounds awful, but it's so true because it was just so um, insular when you're in that environment. Because you've described what I... What, what I think my students were going through. And when I look back to my two years full-time training at Scully Borobinsky, that's how far back I go, um, at the end of the two years, I could barely write my own name. Mm. I mean, I experienced a very similar, uh, yes, and it's very too much focus on self like that. Yeah. It's probably not very healthy. No. And and I mean, it's a hard one because I guess, I guess that's okay if you're going to be at the top of your game and you're okay with sort of cutting everything out to achieve that kind of greatness, whether it's tennis or ballet or whatever. It's very lonely at the top. And if, if that's what you want and if you're happy with that, that's fine. But when, when you see thousands and thousands of young children leaving school to do this then it's like well you're all not going to be the top of the top so it's just you're going to just be having a million sad little ex-ballet dancers who then actually probably don't want anything to do with ballet afterwards well very often that's the case and that's you know my husband always talks about that you know they they, they start hating it yeah and, uh, they lose their love for it and uh, what, all, what they do often is start up their own dance school and because they, they, that's what they know. So they start the dance school, have no ever further education, and, you know, that's how they know that it started at Miss Trixie's studio, yeah. you know, because it's, uh, it's not a good preparation for running a dance school, really, just coming straight from training. You really do need... And that was the inspiration for uh, for a teaching certificate. And I was very happy to do the teaching certificates with the New Royal Academy and, and um, the, well, they were dancing ones actually. And uh, uh, so I did the, the dancing ones and I also did the teaching ones. I yeah. did Shikini, but only with that only with the dancing ones. But that was way later. But because I wanted to remember it all and come back to it, um, and uh, yes, it's uh, it's not good, uh, and it's quite concerning. I think you're right to be concerned about that because um, it is life a life skill, uh, but you don't want to kill off the dream. So I think we're very much agreed on that, Georgia. We, yes. Yeah, definitely. Any more questions? Yes. No. Because no. I'll wrap it on. I wanted to ask, you've described with the ADV assessment that it's in a non-threatening environment. So I sort of wanted to have a, a chat and explain to listeners who may not be familiar, because I do have a lot of um, adult ballerinas who started ballet as an adult and may have never done an exam before So that listen to the podcast. And so how does ADV differ? What, what would you describe as a threatening environment compared to a non-threatening exam? Well, what we do is we uh, have the teacher take the student through the, so the teacher is present. Mm. 
and someone does the tapes because these days they don't have pianists. And so it's a kind of friendly environment and they can at the last minute decide to be an option one or an option two. So they can decide whether they want to and that's in combination with the parent and the teacher and the student. So they feel as though they're in control of it mm. in a way. Um, so that has worked very, very well. And when I introduced the idea of history as part of the exam and, and body science, it's not just uh, anatomy, and um, they said, oh, we want a history. Now they wouldn't give it up. Now they just love it. So all of that makes for, uh, there's a chat with the examiner, so they're not so they're not this sort of scary figure, because there's opportunity to talk, and I think that makes a difference as well. Definitely. So that's that's what makes it quite unique, um, having the written work as well as part of the result. So that is taken into the result, an attitude and an ability. So the attitude mark is: do they turn up on class on time? Are they dressed neatly and tidily, and they have a mark for that. And then they said like a scaling system between the attitude and the ability. So if you've got a good attitude, well, you might need to get a few more marks if everything else is going well, or if you had a very bad attitude, then that couldn't affect your marks. So in fact, they're being marked for their assessment all the time, they're in trade all the time that during that year. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It's a fantastic system. I think it's a really, really good idea. Um, I know, for example, with myself, I'm not allowed with the current syllabus we use that I'm not allowed in the room. And that's really off-putting for some of the students um, because it's nice for them to have a familiar face. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it really works well. They, they, the, the teacher's there and also the teacher knows what happens in the class. She's not allowed to interrupt. She just, just gives the thing, they just says the name of the exercise. Someone works the, the, the CD player the, the, and so on. So that, that, uh, that's all taken care of. So it's, you know, they're much more comfortable. So how many studios do you have running the ADV um, syllabus? Probably about 100, yeah. Yeah, about 100 studios. And, and they don't all do assessments necessarily. Yes. Yeah. So it, it depends on how many, you know, and with this um, COVID, of course, this, yes. we, we do video assessments as well. We believe that in Australia, it's a good way to go. I mean, we're doing this Zoom now. So yeah, exactly. we've all woken up to the power of um, the celluloid, you might say. It's yeah. wonderful, isn't even, it? Even though we've had a, had a few little hiccups with the connection this morning it's still it's still fantastic I mean you know I I do miss being able to sort of interview people in person um there's something quite different about it but I love that you know we can just wake up and before I start classes this morning have a quick chat and you're in Sydney and I'm on the Gold Coast it's great well, it's fantastic isn't it yeah it's very fantastic it's uh it's great to be able to uh, to do this I do this with my friends as well you know, school friends, you know, get together with them. And, uh, um, yeah, so it's um, a new world and we have to get used to it, don't we? We do. And it's okay for dance. I don't see, you have to get it right, though. It's not, you know, you have to have certain rules to make sure that everybody can adequately be seen. But it actually does allow to have two assessors. 
So that might be viewed to be a good thing. Actually, I've never thought of that. That's a great idea. Mm. So that could happen. Now, Penny, I wanted to ask you, because um, obviously we talk a lot about balance here at the Balance Ballerines podcast, I wanted to know whether a student can be balanced and still achieve success in quotation marks or a professional career in this industry. Uh, um, just to hear some of the, my students who became professionals definitely maintained that balance and they stayed on school. And one had a, a career in musical theatre and the other was a, he was a dancer with the Queensland Ballet and so on. So it definitely can happen and should happen because why would you... Uh, it's because there's such a passion for dance and then if it doesn't work out and or you don't become a professional, it's such a terrible disappointment. It doesn't need to be. And that's what you're saying, really. It's, in, you know, it, it's not going to happen for everybody. And there's all kinds of ways of, of uh, if you, if you know more and you're better educated, then you're less likely to be knocked by the knockbacks because they happen, you know, they happen in everything really. But somehow dancers find it very hard and they get issues with anorexia and some of them, you know, they go off and they go to Germany or somewhere and work with a company and they're miserable. Yeah, I think the world is really waking up to the fact that there's, you know, a huge movement that mental health is just so important no matter what you're doing. Um, Otherwise, what's the point if you get to the top and you're sad? <laughs> that's, that's my point. You're sad or you're angry or you're, um, you don't feel good about yourself or whatever. But I think your balanced ballerina is a, a powerful good. I really do. And it's great to see. Uh, you know, it just makes me really happy to see what you're doing. Um, and it goes totally, I think we're on the same wavelength, really. Uh, I mean, you can dance and have other things as well. And, but how you do it, particularly those vulnerable years, aren't they? It's those vulnerable years from the age of, say, perhaps 13, 14, 15, 16, that's, that's where it can start. And I wouldn't criticise anybody who leaves school. I just prefer that they did it. You know, because I, I can relate to my own sons, you know, that Andrew, if he wanted to be a, a musician, one, he would have to leave school probably and practice, um, you know, four times, a, four hours a day, really, uh, if that's what he wanted. Uh, and the same thing applies to, to dancing, but you can keep these ahead going as well. Yeah. Now, my final question is I always ask my guests, which you'll be familiar with, what keeps you balanced, Penny? What, how do you stay balanced? I think, um, I think I'm balanced because of all the dancing I did in, in my 30s and 40s. That's like an insurance policy. I walk every day and I am passionate about books. I'm a very big reader and I get a lot of pleasure from reading enormous amount of pleasure when we jumped on zoom the first thing i noticed was your beautiful big bookshelf that i commented on it's stunning 
that's my dream to have an office with a big bookcase behind me. <laughs> yeah, well, you should go for that because it's a good one. I know, and it's very attainable. <laughs> if you're ever in Sydney, you have to come and visit. I, I, would, actually, I would actually <laughs> pitch some books. <laughs> I would actually love that, Penny. Like, I must admit that um, I was really thrilled to sort of meet with you this morning because I, I do feel a little bit like a kindred spirit and I feel that... Um, Sometimes, like you said at the beginning of this interview, it can feel really lonely when you're trying to push against what's popular or the way it has been done. And um, I would love nothing more than to have a cup of coffee with you and and just, you know. That would be lovely. I would enjoy that very much. I would love that. But thank you so much for um, giving up your time this morning. And it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been my pleasure for me too. Thank you so much. (laughs) 